0: Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, thirteen eighty KLIZ the fan on Facebook at uh, Lakes Woods and Irons and also podcast one and podcast MN. Thanks to our sponsor Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the twenty twenty Buicks. Chris, uh, another week we're putting into the uh, putting into the schedule here, and uh, uh, we got great news. Uh, of course, last week when we recorded, the governor hadn't quite made his announcement. And we recorded the show, and then Friday the governor came out with the big announcement that we could all play a play a little golf if we're careful. So that's yeah, it's fantastic
1: news. It's uh, you know I think it it's just added a lot of uh, (laughs) it's lift up it's uplifted a lot of people's spirits. Uh, It certainly has mine, and uh, we're 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 getting some nice weather and and some players out, and uh, it's it's just good to get back to a little bit of, of more of what our normal lives are.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And, uh, uh PGA tour is kind of, uh, coming to the table, um, with, uh, some tournaments. Sounds like, uh, did you say first four tournaments without, uh, without a gallery?
1: Right now they're, they're, yeah, the first, first scheduled tournament is, uh, June 11th, which is the Charles Schwab challenge at, at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth. And, you know, they're saying the first four tournaments so the first the first three are in june first one in in july are all uh, uh are all going to be without fans uh possibly the first tournament with fans would be the john deere classic in, in the quad cities which is july 9th and then a couple weeks after that we've got the uh, the 3m championship in minneapolis so we need to see if we if we could get some fans it'll be very strange having having pga tour events with uh with nobody there but uh be sure nice to to get some sports back on tv
0: Boy, it could be a uh, huge golf ratings if they're the first sport that can come back and kind of the nature of the sport allows maybe for uh golf would seem like maybe the natural one with uh, spacing and that kind of natural spacing of the game and uh, especially with no galleries um early could get some huge tv ratings and and we won't uh, we won't have to watch uh, the 1959 World Series again.
1: <laughs> That's right. You know, it's it's interesting, Mac. I, it, even without galleries, uh, they're saying with you know, if you, if you take the fields, fields typically 156 players. So you got 156 players plus caddies. You know, so you got 312 players there. Plus you've got all the support people and television people. There, there's still going to be about a thousand people uh that it's going to take to put on a, a tour event uh but you know with the spacing and with the pre- precautions and uh they're really working on uh, how they're every player has to be tested every event uh they're saying the pga tour needs a million test kits to to run the the season as scheduled and uh it, it's fascinating it's a whole new world
0: it really is that is uh, uh, it, that's the numbers seem so extraordinary a million test kits um, uh, right now we're just trying to get them out to the rest of the country as much <laughs> yeah. as we can
1: uh, yeah it, I, I wish I owned a, t- a company that was in the test kit business.
0: right yeah on also on schedule here with the kind of the way it laid out on the calendar is the CRMC classic at Craigen's uh, still looking pretty solid, I think, correct
1: yeah i the the latest i heard uh everything is a go uh i think you know a a mid-may decision is probably going to be made uh what truly happens and um you know we're we're very hopeful that uh yeah the event the event is going to happen
0: yeah that's the Mackenzie tour coming to uh, the Brainerd lakes area which would be fantastic that's the uh, kind of the canadian version of the corn Ferry tour for lack of a better description but uh They've got turned a lot of guys into the tour, and including Tony Finau. He started on the McKenzie Tour, and lots of uh, pretty good names, McKenzie Hughes and Nick Taylor. Corey Connors has come out of that uh, tour. So uh, some of these young guys are bound for the PGA Tour, just to have to make a stop here in the uh, Brainerd-Baxter area first.
1: That's right. It's, uh, the road to the PGA st- Tour starts in Brainerd.
0: Chris, uh, uh, teaching is going to be allowed for you, your profession. That's great uh, news for young golfers and old golfers who need a little help from uh, gentlemen like yourself. So uh, it'll still be social distancing and that kind of thing, but uh, uh, just to get out there and get some good instruction, as we'll hear from one of our guests, uh, in the, well, all of our a lot of our guests in the coming weeks. But uh, uh, good instruction from a uh, professional is always a good thing, and you got to be happy to happy about this.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, it, it feels uh, it really feels good to get get back to uh, what I love doing. You know, I I, I got I got got a lot of office work done and a lot of catching up done uh, over the past five or six weeks. But I, I, Monday I gave my first golf lesson in five weeks, and uh, I I think in the last thirty years I haven't gone about about more than four or five days without giving a golf lesson. So it uh it was very nice to get back uh in my office per se and um uh, again it's it's a it's a whole new world i've, I've got i've kind of got rope set up so you can't you, I'm, sure. you know a, a good six or eight feet from the students and i've got a big screen tv to do the video analysis so they don't have to they don't have to stand close to me on the computer and we're club fittings we're we're sanitizing the clubs in between fittings and uh, so it's 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 a whole new world you can't move the student around all kinds of different things but it's uh it's certainly good to get outside and teach again uh in minnesota and uh it really feels good to get back to helping people with their golf games a
0: couple great guests coming up today Uh, nick bradley a uh, very interesting uh, teacher and motivational speaker and has worked at the corporate world now as well And Ron Reed, our part two with Ron Reed, uh, a starter at the U.S. Open uh, for 23 years. So another uh, couple fascinating interviews for you coming up. And then uh, Glenn Hagberg will join us in uh, the final segment of the show today. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons, 1380 KLIZ The Fan, also available on our Facebook page and also at Podcast MN and Podcast One. So all those locations, thanks to our sponsor, Mills DM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 Buicks. We pick up now with part two of our interview with Nick Bradley. He's a mentor, an author, creative uh, thinker, and a mentor not only to golfers, but also to executives now as he combines the corporate world with the world of golf. Here's Nick Bradley. He takes us behind the scenes at the Ryder Cup. Chris, I know you wanted to ask Nick a little bit about uh, his Ryder Cup experience, too, because that's coming up kind of in our neck of the woods this year.
1: Yeah, it's uh, hopefully end of September here. And Nick, you've been involved in a couple of Ryder Cups and tell us about that experience and what your role was.
2: Well, it was an absolute honor for Captain Paul McGinley to ask me to help him with uh, like the backroom messaging and, um, and really the, the the psychology of the week for uh, that Ryder Cup in 2014, and um, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, he, he basically got the ideas from my books, which, uh, you know, used the powerful imagery. And he said, look, you know, can you create six or seven images that, you know, will really fire the guys up? So that was one thing. But what we ended up doing was creating chronological images that would mean different things as the three days or, in fact, the week progressed. So, you know, for example, I created a really stunning image of Seve, Uh, with a very you know intense glare in his eyes and that was the last sort of image the guys saw before they walked onto the range you know and it said your mission is clear look into his eyes Uh, another image I, i did was a a rock in a really stormy sea and it said look when the storm comes we will be the rock and america of course bounced back on the saturday morning and that was one of the images that was quoted as the week went on so yeah, it was fascinating working with Paul and obviously being there for the week and understanding uh, the just the the so many dynamic playouts during the three days in terms of ebb and flow and momentum, etc. etc. It's uh it's it's an absolutely amazing event. We're so lucky to have the Ryder Cup every two years because I think. Um, Well, certainly the dynamics have changed. I mean, up until 1985, it was predominantly an American, you know, victory, victory walk, right? I mean, the the Americans have won the Ryder Cup seven times in a row, twice. You know, since 1985, obviously there's been a lot more blue on the board. And I think that's been really healthy. You know, Europe don't like losing in Europe and Americans don't like losing in America. And I think that is to get kind of, the European victory in America or the American victory in Europe, I think, just adds the spice to the tournament. And that's uh, that's what it needs, and, and, and it's got in abundance.
1: Nick, I, I think Paul McGinley is one of the, the smartest guys in golf. And it seemed like he took the preparation prior to the Ryder Cup to a different level. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, he was one of the first guys really to employ um, a, a stats team. Um, headed up by a really good friend of mine called Chris Sells at strokeaverage.com. So you can uh, follow them on Twitter. They're amazing, Chris Sells. And uh, Paul McGinley hired the guys in to not only look at the golf course, but look at the the real-time, and I mean real-time, performances of the players. So literally, and this is how good Paul had it, literally at the end of every day, you know, you could press a button and it would almost, I mean, not Not to the letter, but it would produce recommendations for players based on their shop proximity, who they were playing with, the certain conditions. so yeah, Paul really took it to a different level, not only the decor in the changing rooms, but obviously my involvement, and then StrokeAverage.com dot com and other things so um, yeah, it was no surprise that he's kind of like been hailed as the most strategically you know savvy captain i think we've had thus far so it was it, again it was a pleasure to be um to be working with him and an honor to be asked to uh, to help him with it it's been great
1: it had to be one of the great moments of your career
2: yeah i mean i'd done uh, you know i up to that point, you know, I've coached about eight national amateur champions and winners on tour and uh, helping Justin Rose get to European number one. You know, I've done a lot of cool things. And Kevin Chapel over here on the PGA Tour and Nationwide Tour. You know, it's been good. The one thing I didn't really up until that point um, have... Well, I was with Justin Rose in the 2008 Ryder Cup, uh, you know, with um, with Justin there and Nick Faldo was captain that week. Uh, but really, in terms of actually... Assisting with the captain uh, in that level, um, yeah, 2014 was really was really a great time for me, and uh, it was great to be in Glen, Eagle, Glen Eagles. Nick,
1: one, one last question, we'll let you go for today. But uh, you know, I, I teach a lot of young good players, and I know you do as well. And what, what would be some advice you have for a you know a high school player aspiring to play at the college level or at the PGA Tour level? What's some of the the good advice you have?
2: Well, I think first and foremost is strength conditioning and understanding your physiology. I think once you you develop those two, um, then technique becomes a lot more relevant. So, uh, you know, I would definitely start to get screened and understand what your physiology is telling you and then work your strength and conditioning program around that. Then that kind of like naturally feeds onto their technique and, you know, if you're young, why not have fundamentally biomechanically good technique? You know, um, I think what we're seeing in the history of game is less and less quasi sort of techniques. Um, I think you're seeing more of a standard technique, which is fine. And I don't really buy into the, the narrative that, you know, all golf swings are looking the same, but they can't play for a lick. That, to me, is total trash. You know, if you can get a biomechanically sound technique which aligns to your physiology, okay, and you know it by design, why not have that? Scoring and winning has never been about a great golf swing. It's been about your fortitude and strategical intelligence and your ability to compete. But if you're gonna have a golf swing, why not build the best one you can, right? So, no question. You know, for for juniors I would say understand your Understand your screenings, understand your physiology, be strong, be fast, Uh, don't do any harm to yourself in that process, then build the most solid, understandable technique you can. But most of all, most of all, find out why you're competing. Right, you know, some people want to get out of poverty, some people want trophies, some people want money, some people want glamour and fame. It doesn't matter which one of those boxes you tick, each one is equally applicable if you want to reach the top of the game. So find out what drives you, find out what turns you on, and then and then just hit that lane, buddy, and don't look back.
0: Nick, you've taken a lot of... Uh, Chris and I talk often on the show about the lessons in life that golf can teach and, the, and really the, the, the fine people that you can meet in the game. And I'm sure that... Has that segued really well into the corporate world that you're such a big part of now as far as motivational speaking and that kind of thing?
2: It really has because... When I'm dealing with when I'm doing some executive coaching, um, there is instant credibility there because I've been involved with in peak performance. So uh, I'm not coming in from a theoretical point of view. I'm coming in with you know some real tangible uh, results and some beautiful testimonials from people like Nick and Paul and Justin Rose and those guys. So you know I'm you can probably tell by my character. I'm not really one for having, you know, sticking the, the gear stick in reverse. I'm a very forthright thinker. Uh, I don't have any problem telling you my opinion, but hopefully that opinion's backed up by my experiences and my, my knowledge. And the first rule, uh, as my good friend Justin Buckthorpe told me only a couple of days ago, is when you're coaching, do no harm so that sort of ma- with that mantra involved you know when i'm i'm mentoring executives and working with ceos cfos and founders of companies and it's you know working mainly with what's going on behind the curtain as opposed to what's going on in front of the employees and the teams because you know you've got to sort yourself out before you can help anyone else out you know it's uh, i really i have to say i really enjoy that aspect of my career now is getting the call or the email Saying uh, Nick, you know, <clears throat> read your books, seen you on YouTube, seen you on uh, Twitter or what have you. Can you help me with some some of my business life? Then that equally turns me on. So uh, I, I'm in I'm in a lucky position. I really enjoy my work.
1: Well, that's great stuff, Nick. We really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, stay safe during the pandemic here, and keep putting out that great Twitter stuff while we're all at home.
2: Thank you. And if any. Anyone wants to get hold of the 50 essays or email me for any other reason, you know, I love receiving emails. Always get back to everyone in, in 24 hours. That's my golden rule. Uh, but it's nick at bradleyperformancegroup.com if uh, anyone wants to reach out. That's my personal email. That will get right to me.
0: Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much today, Nick. We sure appreciate it.
2: Okay, guys. Thanks very much for having me on, and please stay safe. Thanks, Nick.
0: Nick Bradley, fantastic guest today, and uh, a pleasure to have him on the show. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons, 1380 KLIZ, available on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and also Podcast MN and Podcast One, thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 Buicks. Next is part of our interview with Ron Reed, author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock to Pebble Beach.
3: I was lucky to start at Hazeltine there in Minnesota. and uh, I'll never forget, um, that was in 91. My, I'd lost my mom, and as I was driving out there to Hazeltine, I went past this purple house.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Who would live in a purple house, right? Well, I'd never even heard of the guy at the time. Well, um, you know, Prince, uh, of course, lived there. And then I got out there and they made me park in a cornfield <laughs> I didn't have, I couldn't get through the gate I had but on the way I heard this um, I heard a radio announcer saying this may be your only chance to see golf and see hazel team get out here early this was on a Friday before the open and people I'll never forget people with bags and bags of merchandise were leaving going to that same cornfield where they were parked and it was the biggest US open I'm sure it was the, the first sellout
0: no kidding yeah yeah in
3: ninety one and um, i learned I learned from that i learned i I learned what golf meant to the state of Minnesota I mean you know, I said to myself, there's no better golf state, and I think the data would support that uh, with the amount of participation I, along the way i was I was looking for uh, I was looking for a site in Pacific Northwest that had never had the u s open and i was uh, I had gone to seven eight golf courses um, along the way, and finally I ended up uh, at this site looking at a big sand pile with the architect Robert Trent Jones and um, John Ladenburg, who was the head of the county there Pierce county and I looked at the sand dunes and I said, "Here it is. we built it day one to hold the u s open but that all traced back to um, to what I saw there in the energy of uh, of hazeltine and so um, I guess you'd say I initiated the uh, the USGA's interest in going to Chambers Bay for the U.S. Open uh, in 2015. Yeah, there's... And I'm some happy I did. It's a great site. Yes. It is Hazel
0: Yeah, my... Uh, well, we're from the Northwest. My family, my dad lived there forever, and he took me to so many great golf courses in the Northwest, and we, we always talked about, how, how come we can't get a PGA Tour stop here, or at least a major or something? And finally it happened that... Uh, at Chambers Bay, there was, well, as you know, if you looked around, there's there was lots of choices to be made in the Northwest. There's a lot of great golf courses.
3: Well, it, the problem was the bigness that's required today of a, of a U.S. Open, and bigness in terms of, you know, the peripheral hospitality things and parking sure. and, and all of those things. And My search started at Portland Golf Club after the Senior Open there in 82, and then uh, I hooked up with... Um, Uh, Peter Jacobson, who was designing the Oregon Golf Club. We hooked up and looked at that, and that never developed, and then along the way there was Bandon and Crosswater and and a bunch of the newer golf courses that had the size that was required. But, you know, Chambers Bay was 940 acres of sand there on the bay, spectacular site, great architect in Jones. And uh, it it worked. It was a great site. And yes, there were some agronomic issues, but uh, I certainly hope they go back there someday. It's a great, great golf course.
0: Yeah, I hope they do too. Go ahead, Chris.
3: Oh, I was just going to ask Ron. I
1: unfortunately that that U.S. Open was, you know, because of the agronomics w- was the perception of it wasn't as good. But do you think they'll they'll take an event back there because it is such a great golf course?
3: Well, it was huge. It was. Um, it was uh, Hazeltine huge, Beth page huge, which was huge in 0 you know that was New York's coming out after the tragedy of 9/11. Uh, I would I, I don't have the financials, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't the biggest ever US mm-hmm. open. and I'd say uh, USJ, you got to go back.
0: What a finish, DJ. Three putts the last hole and uh, doesn't win the U.S. Open. It was a, no. that was what a golf what a golf tournament it was. You talked. Uh, you you're happy to uh, kind of uh, make fun of yourself over the years, and uh, they kind of crossed you up in uh, in two thousand eight when you uh, it was a little bit different to start that that U.S. Open run. At Tory, I think with with oh. Tiger and Phil and Adam.
3: <laughs> I was thinking of ninety eight. That was Olympic. Well, in I got the heads up in, uh, from John Miller, not Johnny Miller, John from NBC, who called me and he said, uh, at 8.06, worldwide, every every operation of NBC will cut to you in introducing <laughs> players one, two, and three in the world.
0: Mm, no that pressure. Man,
3: Tiger, Tiger <laughs> Phil and Adam Scott. And his parting words were, don't blow it. And they'd given me, what, five months to... To, to say it properly, well, there was never a more exciting moment in starting, I don't think anybody, at the U.S. Open than that occasion, and uh, I got through it. That was, that was a lot of fun.
0: And that was, was that, the, that was the first time they did one, two, and three? Is that the only time? I, uh, I could on. be
3: wrong, but I think every year since it used to be the Open champion, or as many would say, the British Open, the U.S. amateur champion. And the U.S. Open champions. So, right, uh, they changed that tradition. I believe in 0- 8 was the first year. Ron, is is
1: is there more tension on the first tee, the first round, or the last several groups on Sunday in the fourth round?
3: <laughs> I've never been asked that. <laughs> it depends on the player, I think. Um, a, a quick story. A golf professional was putting my clubs on a, on a cart. I normally walk. I always walk. But this was a special occasion. And I looked at him, and his name was Scott William from uh, outside of Seattle. And I said, did you ever play in the U.S. Open? He says, oh, yeah. I played in 1986. I was player number one to play in the U.S. Open. And uh, I, I said, was I nervous? He says, not as nervous as I was. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, I remember this. He had he a four-wit on the first hole at Shinnecock. He, all he was trying to do is hit the fairway. And he missed it by inches. And guess what? He had to take an unplayable eye after four minutes and 58 seconds of looking for that golf ball.
0: Wow.
1: That's
3: the diff, the, the, the depth of the rough and the density. So, um, you know, it depends on the player. Um, I, I remember thinking uh, Greg Norman. Showed a lot of nerves in round four, and I believe it was at Oak Hill, 1989. Uh, and also Tom Kite that year. Tom was leading, and he, he ends up losing, of course, to uh, Curtis Strange. But occasionally you saw the nerves come out of you know the top players in the game.
0: How about some of the talkers and some of the non-talkers? <laughs> I know you say Tiger. Yeah. Tiger never really said a word. He was so so full of concentration.
3: Tiger, uh, we talked once on the tee at Shinnecock, and and uh, he he after a very brief conversation, uh, it ended. He was very focused, and he always was. And um, the chapter in in my book is called uh, "This Tiger Was." Yeah. This tiger was never a kitten.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: and I learned early on. I think he was uh, sixteen or seventeen when. When there was, um you know, he was he was a strong-willed individual. I learned that early on.
0: Talk a little bit about uh Roger Maltby, your friendship with Roger Maltby over the years. The reason I'm interested, I'll just give you a little backstory. My uh, yeah. brother is an actor, and he uh, uh participated in some things with Anheuser-Busch over the years, and and Roger was a celebrity golfer at a lot of the tournaments that they would go to. And somebody dropped out and couldn't play, so he's asking, "Okay, who plays?" Because he's got a match with two NFL quarterbacks, uh, Dan Marino and one we won't name, <laughs> who was a po- <laughs> who, who was a poor sport. And uh, so Scott can play a little bit, and uh, uh, he picks up Scott just for the morning. So they tee it up the next day, and uh, Marino's a good golfer. I've I've heard that before too, and uh, uh, the other guys having temper tantrums and throwing clubs and. Uh, uh, finally, Maltby says, uh, you just try to hit it down the middle because these guys are done. He was he was kind of carrying them along, you know, like he's, the match was fairly even after nine or whatever the case. But he couldn't take any more club throwing and swearing. So he just turned his game on to his, to his real game. And uh, Scott said he just buried him single-handedly over the last six holes, and that was it. <laughs> but that's why I was interested because we got a little bit of a common connection there, but you were you've been friends with Roger forever.
3: Uh I've known Roger since uh the early seventies when he won the uh Northern Cal amateur at Spyglass Hill and you know he, Roger's the one constant in my life. He's 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 never changed. And um talked to him actually uh, last Sunday. I he just was in my thoughts and I called him about the book. He hadn't seen the book, but he's in it. And um One of the stories I tell is about Roger. uh, He came to the tee at um, Beth page. The players were not recognizable names. And Roger only went out with recognizable names. So (laughs) I said, what are you doing here? He says, "Um, well, I'm here to go out with Tiger. And I said, well, Tiger's on the 10th tee. And he got, you know, his eyes get real big. And he looks at me and he says, man, I got to be there in two minutes or I'm in trouble with Tommy Roy. So I called a New York highway patrolman and, um, you know, we, we'd had rain for like 21 straight days. It was a mess, but somehow that patrolman got through, got him to the 10th tee, but I told him beforehand, I said, if I get you there, you owe me a jar of mayonnaise.
4: <laughs>
3: and by the way, he's never paid me, but the story there is I called him one day and Donna's wife's said, he's not here, but he's at his favorite place. I said, where's that? He says, Costco. She said, <laughs> I said Costco? Can you imagine running into Roger Maltby at Costco? <laughs> so I called her. I got his cell phone, and I called and I said, where are you? He says, well, I got a skid, and I'm loading it with mayonnaise. <laughs> 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 and I bet there was a little wine on there, too, but uh, and perhaps Anheuser-Busch. But uh, anyway, uh, I kidded him about that, and he made it. He made it to the 10th tee to see Tiger Woods and walk with him. So, <laughs> Roger is one of the all-time good guys.
0: Ron, Chris, and I have a segment on the show, the 19th hole, and it's um, uh, sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka here. And and uh, before the show, you had talked about you and Chris have some uh, some common ground in Scotland. And, and uh, why don't you describe for our listeners the perfect lunch?
3: Oh, the perfect lunch would be... Uh in in the big room at the Ryland Ancient Golf Club. We might have a a favorite beverage there and then uh, enjoy lunch upstairs. And a perfect lunch would include um, perhaps uh, a variety of red and white wines. (laughs) And then uh, only the Brits, uh, it seems, they they can go down and have a coffee and maybe a Kimmel.
1: (laughs) I'm in, (laughs) Ron.
0: I, rela- I
3: think you know about that tradition.
0: <laughs> you can I relate, do. Chris. <laughs> yeah,
3: I introduced. Um, I've introduced uh, several players to, but David Duval had never had Kimmel, and I introduced him to Kimmel there. So, um, and Matt Pucher, I believe, as well. So, um, uh, there are players um, who have now enjoyed the Scottish drink. Actually, I think it's made in Germany, but uh, Kimmel is a great tradition of Scotland. Yes, it is.
0: Duvall, a great reader, you said. He was a, a good uh, guy to recommend books to and vice versa, I suppose.
3: You know, I I, I didn't talk to the players unless I sensed they wished to, to chat, and uh, uh, David was one of those, as Lucas Glover, um, and uh, occasionally if there was little time to kill and they seemed to want to talk, I'd say, give me a good book. And they never let me down. Those are two fellas that uh, did a lot of reading, and I'd take notes uh, and then the final instruction that I would give all the players was um, gentlemen, please count your clubs. And I, I guess I became kind of known for that. Um, and uh, it came because in 1989, Grant faith, who was um, league president at the time came to me and he said, do you have the players counter clubs? I said, Grant, this is the big leagues. You don't need to do that. And he says, Ron, if one player goes off here with too many clubs, you'll find yourself in the Little League. So I got the (laughs) Over the next uh, 21 years, I uh, reminded the players to count their clubs.
0: Anybody ever take one out or put one in?
3: You know, um, thank you for asking. uh, Dave Eichelberger. Yeah. Uh, I was starting at uh, Des Moines Golf and Country Club in 99 U.S. Senior Open, which was huge in Des Moines, Iowa. It was as big as any U.S. Open. And final round, Dave, uh, excuse me, his caddy came to me and he said, we've counted our clubs. The caddy disappeared, and next thing I knew, Dave was there with a putter. And they had recounted the clubs and found an extra club. Sure. And uh, (laughs) so I hid the club away in my tent, and guess what? Dave Eichelberger won. U.S. (laughs) U.S. Junior <laughs> Open there at the Moines Gulf. How about that? And uh, he told the press, he says, "I won it because of that." So I naturally I felt good
0: about that. Yeah, that's not bad. That's kind of a That's kind of a win for you. You are listening to our interview with Ron Reed, author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock to Pebble Beach. You can find uh, Ron's information at ronreed.com Get yourself an autograph copy of this uh, great book. Also available on Amazon. We'll be back with more from Ron. In the coming weeks, you're listening to 1380 KLIZ Lakes Woods and Irons. Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald, with you. Available now on our Facebook page as well, and also uh, podcast one and podcast MN. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 Buicks. Chris, special special guest, good friend of ours. I'll let you uh, do the introductions.
1: Yeah, welcome. want well, to welcome to the show the head golf professional at Madden's Resort, Glenn Hegberg. Glenn, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mackey. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you bet. Glenn, everybody got a smile on their face this week when the governor said we could golf. It's not exactly like it was, but uh, uh, we were kind of joking. Get out the first uh, nine holes, even though it's the normal time of year when we'd be starting at almost all area courses, you still kind of feel like you're getting out of jail when you get out there and swing.
4: i agree that was certainly good news last friday and um well i think that i was i and we were like most it uh caught us a bit by surprise you know quite honestly uh i felt like that week prior on the wednesday uh governor address, the the minnesota pga and mga had kind of said you know you might want to tune in to the governor's address wink wink like uh you know, and, and so, you know, I, we were fully expecting that, uh, we were going to be opening golf courses the week prior. And then, uh, we, we got on and the stay at home, got extended until May 4th. So um, anyways, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Right. So anyways, you know, then all of a sudden finding out that, uh, we got about 18 hours notice to, uh, that we could open the golf courses was like, whoa boy, it's go time, but let's, You know, we were we were prepared to uh uh you know, just in light everything, we just you know, we just said that when we are when we get the green light, we wanna be able to provide golf for people as an outdoor activity. And so uh we were we were preparing to have the West course um ready to be, you know, in a spot where we could flip on the lights and and uh open up and same with the uh airport driving range. So yeah, it was certainly nice to get open last Saturday and to have people around and, you know, have a little vibe around the place. Um, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, it's just it's a lot more
1: fun when there's people around. That is for sure. The, the, the only disappointment in open up the West for me, Glenn, was that uh, now I don't have my driving range in my backyard. <laughs> i had the mat sorry there and was just is. firing balls down the fairway all day so <laughs> had to uh but at least we've got our driving range open now as well so
4: well maybe but, maybe uh, it could just maybe we could close holes 10 and 11 for you and keep your backyard there and we could just send everybody up the road to 12 and tell
1: people sorry <laughs> I, I, I don't mind I, I don't mind sharing my yard <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's it's good to see some people so yeah, but no it's true. it's certainly uh it's certainly a welcome reprieve to be open and um you know just <laughs> have some decent weather and 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 get out of the house and, and swing the sticks so so you've got pine beach west open now and uh what what's your what's your schedule on the, the east golf course and the classic Well,
4: the East golf course will open with the resort. And so the resort will open, you know, after May 4th, uh, is the plan right now. And so, uh, as of right now, we're planning on May 6th for the East golf course and social nine. And then, um, the classic, uh, we've got to make a final decision on that. Um, you know, it's going to be sometime the first week in May. I'm, I'm not sure if we'll get open on May 1st or not, but, uh, you know, it'll it'll be sometime that first week in May. So,
0: more the natural yeah. time frame, really, for the classic, Lenny, just based on the on the nature of the course and things.
4: Yeah, that's right. Um, May first, May first was our scheduled opening date this year. Anyways, um, the courses were the uh, east and west were scheduled to open on April 24th. So actually, the west is opening early. Um, and you know, the East got pushed back a little bit, but, uh, yeah, everything, you know, all in all actually is kind of
1: right on schedule. Yeah. Re- really actually probably the earliest opening date for Pine Beach West in many, many years. Yeah.
4: Yeah, absolutely. There was, uh, yeah, I think three years ago, we kind of changed the approach a little bit. Ben, Ben's been a little bit more excited about getting the courses open in the spring and just getting people playing. So. Um, yeah, well, I think we opened just a little bit earlier, maybe three years ago, but then, of course, last year and the year before, we had we were getting those, uh, like, 12-inch snowstorms in mid-April, yeah. so.
1: <laughs> so, you know, so, some re- really good news when you said the, you know, the, the resort opening and, and that we got from, from the governor's office uh, uh, yesterday, we're co- recording this on Wednesday, that came out on Tuesday, is that resorts will be able to open. They're still a lot of unknowns on how we'll be able to open and operate, but that's, uh, that's huge news for, for everybody in the, in the Brainerd Lakes area. Yeah. It was nice that
4: he addressed, uh, hotels and resorts specifically. And, and, uh, our, our, uh, you know, Zoom meetings that we've been having with the department heads at nine o'clock every morning was, you know, far more upbeat than any that we've had (laughs) in a while getting that news and, and, uh, we're anticipating that we'll get some news about restaurants here um you know possibly today and uh you know hopefully that's going to be good news so
0: yes indeed and so many i mean so many you guys are such a family resort that i mean the people are already trapped inside with are coming to the resort with us so it's it's not like it's that big a change in personnel <laughs> yeah as yeah far, as far as who you're around is what i mean and closeness that kind of thing
1: yeah you know you know glenn on a uh on a, on, a, on a really serious note, I mean, we're, we're so lucky to have golf open and available in Minnesota now. And um, I, th- I think I, r- I read this morning that 48 percent of the golf courses in the U.S. are open and operating right now, you know, under under some pretty strict guidelines. And, you know, along that line, I, th- I think we, we really have to stress to golfers that we really have to respect this and respect the game and and respect these, you know, Physical distancing, social distancing, and in, in that, um, us as golf course operators are, are really going to have to be a little bit stern in how we how we operate, so that we don't get closed back down and aren't going to be able to opt for golf.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, as a as a course operator, as a PGA professional, uh, you're you know, I'm we are paying attention to those messages uh, and receiving those loud and clear. Um, And now, and now it's our responsibility to uphold our end of the bargain and, um, you know, really relay, I feel relay to uh, our golfers in the area that, you know, this isn't, this isn't normal golf, you know, this isn't normal golf course opening. This is, you know, uh, we're like, we're allowed to, open our doors or open our facility uh, in a restricted manner. So, you know, it's not it's not the normal deal. This is an opportunity for people to get outdoors and uh um,
3: yeah, you treat know, it. be able treat to treat it some like fresh
4: the, air and
0: treat it like the privilege it, that it is right now. Right. Yeah it's, it absolutely
1: it,
4: is a privilege. So
1: it's 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 not business as usual. And I, I think people when, when they come to the golf course if they haven't been there, they've got to expect a few things. One is is that if they're riding, there's only one rider per cart unless they're from the same household. Uh, yep. Secondly, there's really no, you know, gathering before or after as, as they come to the golf course. The, the directive is you gotta you, you get here, you, you get out on the golf course, you're spaced apart and, um, you know, w- once, once you're done, it's you have to leave the golf course basically, no, no bunker rakes no touching the flag stick. Everybody's doing the cup a little bit differently. Some are raised cups. Some have got, uh, you know, something in the cup so you don't have to reach down, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's just a little different environment, and we've got to uh, all respect that and, and uh, uh, you know, treasure the time we get to enjoy on the golf course. Yeah, absolutely. You said it perfect, and those are the
4: minimizing all those touch points and, you and, uh... Kind of getting in and playing, and then heading out is the is kind of the deal. So
0: people finally appreciate my slice, Glenn, and don't worry about Mac; he's way over there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, Glenn, I, uh, I I saw too that uh, one, one of my uh, favorite restaurants in the area is going to be open for takeout here this week.
4: Oh, well, that's right. Yeah, we uh, uh, we're going to have the classic at uh, the Classic Grill. Uh, open for takeout starting on Thursday. And uh, there's a kind of an abbreviated menu that's available online. Uh, But Daryl is in there now prepping for the uh, uh, prepping for getting open. And uh, yeah, again, just excited to be able to have people around and being able to operate and doing what we love. So
0: Glenn, yeah, golf, that's fantastic. Golf, golf packages and memberships and things like that, are they kind of in flux a little bit, or do you kind of uh, have some information for us?
4: Uh, you know, for the most part, in full swing as far as that goes. So, like I said, we, uh, um, you know, the courses are going to be open, so memberships are in full swing. That That is all available online. Uh, golf packages, uh, we plan to have the resort open, and even if we have some restrictions on, um you know food and beverage uh we will have uh take out food for people to um uh you know so we'll, we'll get people fed and and entertain them and provide the same uh hospitality as we have for 91 years so nice um so yeah so every so so tea times memberships golf packages everything is uh is uh up and running and available and uh you know events we're 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 planning we're planning on our parent child tournament um at the end of may we may have to uh modify that slightly and you know possibly or you know go to a tea time start or you know just figure out how we're going to uh um space people but uh but you know that's sure a, a fun time of the year and and uh you know we want to we want to keep those traditions alive so
1: uh, that's great stuff, Glenn, and uh, it's great to uh, it's great to have you on and great to be open. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys very much for having me.
0: Glenn, give us that website one more time where people can go find their memberships and such.
4: Everything is available at maddens.com.
0: That's simple enough. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.